our game again. No, I trust so. But uh, I want to encourage us that uh, as we continue to worship together uh, online, that it's our goal to be on site as well. And we originally targeted feeling that the month of September would be that opportune time where we can go back to on site and online. And uh, we're going to be meeting this week as a leadership team and making a decision related to next week, just some of the things that are fluid on the ground. But we do believe uh, that September is our month, and we're going to be articulating more of that as it comes. So stay abreast. Uh, look on social media. Uh, you'll get an email. I'll give you an update as we uh, gather uh, towards next weekend, and whether it's on-site and online or whatever the Lord has for us. I do appreciate those of you who have been coming on Wednesday night with our outdoor uh, backlot meeting, and uh, that's been good. I encourage you uh, to come as well again this week at 7. Hopefully this really high-end heat will dissipate uh, by then. And uh, we will be able to gather back there comfortably, and we will also be able to share together maybe some words of testimony as well as for me to bring a, a word of God to you. I want us to bow our heads and pray as we step into what God has for us today. Jesus, we ask today in your blessed name that we worship and we sing, that you would minister and speak through electronic means to be able to challenge us from your word to the calling that you've set before us as individuals. Lord, whether we're just seekers this morning and trying to understand where uh, God is at or could be at in the picture of our life, or whether we've been walking with you a long time, Jesus, I pray that you would stir us from your word and exhort us to be able to be on mission as you have called us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been in this series on upping your game and to be able to challenge us with some uncommon practices that can develop us as believers to become all that God intends for us to be, especially when we're on the field playing the game. I have a really, really hard time with spectator Christians. People that come and they sit and they're in the stands and uh, not only do they cheer on, but sometimes they um, have all their ideas of what needs to be happening on the field. And you just want to turn to them and say, well, get out of the stands and get down on the field, right? Because our Christian faith is not a spectator sport. Sometimes, though, as we live our Christian life and we come and whether you're in your living room this morning or we can get back on site, uh, you sort of take the posture of back and become a recipient, all right, where you're receiving, which is great, but this game that God's called us to in the kingdom of God is for us to be active and to be participating with him, and we need to bring it. We need to bring it when it's time to come each and every day in our lives and with other people. So we've been going through some uncommon practices. We looked at authoritative prayer. We looked at uh, memorized scripture. We looked at silent solitude. Uh, last week, we looked at uh, trustworthy uh, tithing and things. And so each of you have been interacting with me at different times saying, you know, this has been challenging to me and I need to reestablish that type of discipline in my life. Well, I'm going to engage you in an engagement uh, practice today. As we mentioned, sometimes uh, spiritual disciplines, the common practices that build our soul, the abiding and the abounding, are disengagement disciplines or practices, like solitude was, or fasting is one of those, right? You're disengaging from something. But today's discipline, practice, is one of engagement. In fact, you might think that isn't this the end goal or not, but here's the reality. This one that we're looking at today is a practice and it calls us into the game 
to play well, but as we are participating with the Lord in action, it is building us personally as a Christian believer. And that is the uncommon practice of active witness. Active witness. It doesn't say passive witness. It doesn't say ugly witness. It doesn't say indifferent witness. It says active witness. We are called to be an active witness for Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage us because this is one of those practices where, well, it can be a little bit of a cringe thing, like, oh, really? He's going to talk to me about needing to engage and do the idea of witnessing and sharing with others? Well, I'm very familiar that there's a lot of um, caution with this, especially when you live in now a politically correct culture, and there's the cancel culture, and all that's a part of things. But we uh, are called to participate with the Holy Spirit in the ministry that He's doing. And an active witness is not to become some big-time evangelist like a Billy Graham, or you put the name in there, or somebody that maybe you follow uh, on television, or you admire that's in the Christian uh, circuit. What it is, is merely giving a witness to that which you know to be true about God and about your life and about how Jesus Christ can bring change. It doesn't mean you have all the answers. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be awkward moments. It doesn't mean that there isn't some preparation beforehand. It doesn't mean that you become, uh, like I said, an ugly witness and you're out there bombastic and in people's face. It's just that you and I, as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you and I are called to participate actively in proclaiming and demonstrating the love of Jesus. This verse in Acts 1.8 was one of the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples after the resurrection before he ascended to heaven. Now what would you say if they were some of your last instructions before, said, before you said, I'm out of here? Acts 1.8, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be raving evangelists for me. Does it say that? No. You will be bold Bible thumpers and go around and get in people's face. No. It says, you'll be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses in Marietta, and in the Temecula Valley, and in Southern California, and to the ends of the earth. You can plug that in there. And it's, it's not a, hey, one, then the other, then the other. That's why the, the snapshot of the Alliance missions that you just saw was that we are participating in something much bigger around the world. And even here stateside, there is a diversification of God's body that's happening in the Alliance movement that we're a part of and being able to become fully alive to Christ and to His mission. People from every language, tribe, and nation. This was God's plan. And it's God's plan as revealed through Jesus telling them, you're going to receive power. I'm going to be with you. That power is His presence. And then you're going to be my witnesses and tell the story. And you are going to go into these places and you are going to call people to come follow me. My life changed when I moved from being a spectator to being a participant on the field. But to get out of the grandstands and get down on the field, is uh, there's some trepidation to it. 
And we're going to look at that and see some of that. But the initiative to get up and say, God, I want to actively participate in what you're doing is a simple step of obedience. And as you look at the, the plate full, the menu, uh, the diet that you have on a regular basis concerning what disciplines, what uncommon practices you're putting into place, I want you to see active witness as a practice that's necessary for your spiritual growth as surely as reading scripture, praying, being obedient in offering God the first fruits of what he's given to you. Those disciplines are not any different than the discipline of active witness. Active witness is not any different than those practices. And Part of me says, well, you can choose if you want to do this uncommon practice, but the reality is we're commanded by Jesus to activate this one. And so you put together your spiritual formation plan, and we gave reference to it a little bit last Wednesday night in the Outback lot, is that you need to be a participant in being a witness. Otherwise, I believe your spiritual growth will stagnate. It will stagnate. It will turn internal. And one of the biggest detriments to the Christian faith today is that it's myopic. You know what myopic is? Blinders on. It's, it's me focused. Sometimes it's belly button gazing. It's about me, me, me. How can I get better? You know, where can I go to, to feed me? Or how can I go to... Friend, that was never Jesus's plans for the Christian faith and being able to join him to be an individual faith that is privatized into your private life and not the public world. I always get really frustrated sometimes when I see that dichotomy. Sometimes it's mentioned in the political realm as well. And it's called privatization, where our personal faith, it matters to us, but it doesn't need to matter in the public square. Why are we cutting ourselves into two people? The sacred part and some secular part. We are one. And what we do in private, we do in public. In other words, I am an extension in my public friendships with others. Whether at work, in my neighborhood, with people I hang out with, I should be one and the same. There shouldn't be this privatized little faith, and I'm growing spiritually here. And, oh, now, well, hey, how's it going, man? That kind of thing. And you're a different person out with other people. You should be one and the same. Because we are not called to this privatized faith. Active witness. Jesus gave us power. That's a guarantee. When you activate stepping out, coming out of the grandstands onto the field, you receive his empowerment. I believe if you sit back and you wait until you feel right to be an active witness, you will not receive that fullness and that empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Jesus began teaching this off the bat when he started calling his disciples. In this passage in Luke chapter 10, it says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So Jesus is saying with his early disciples, and he picked 12, of course, but then there were others that were following. So he's got 72 here in a moment. He says, hey, everybody, let's get together. Let's talk about this. Now, I am going to go into some of these villages and I'm going to send you out ahead of me. And when you go ahead of me, you just need to use a big megaphone and tell them that somebody really important and powerful is coming, right? So Jesus was not doing that. Jesus was asking them to prepare the people in these villages for his coming so he could teach and talk to them. 
And Jesus wanted to see their lives changed and transformed. Every people, language and tribe and nation, he had ultimately in his view. But here he starts in Jerusalem with his disciples, sending them out to the nearby villages in Judea and maybe some even into Samaria at that time. This is the beginning of the spread of the gospel around the world. And Jesus is encouraging them to have empathy and desire to participate in what he's doing. He sends them on ahead. And then he says this, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, one of the reasons I like the whole active witness aligning with today is we are in, what, Labor Day weekend, right? Who would have thought Labor Day weekend 2020 would be playing out the way that it is? But it is. And so Labor Day weekend is normally seen as like the end of the summer, and then you step into the fall season. But Labor Day weekend was to celebrate the opportunity that we're able to be engaged as workers and be industrious and make things happen. Jesus used the word laborers, or other translations substitute the word workers. I like the word laborers because his vision was what? He would be walking along a pathway and he would see the harvest and he would see that there's all this wheat that needs to be gathered or whatever crop it was to be able to be brought in. The only way that was going to happen in that day, they didn't have the big machinery like we have today with harvest machines and combines, that kind of thing. It was just like, we need laborers. How's that harvest going to be brought in unless there's laborers? And he looked upon the masses of people that he would traverse around and interact with, and he saw that they needed to be gathered into his kingdom. And his means of doing that was to send out the laborers into the harvest. Now, it's interesting because I come from an ag background, an agrarian background in the Midwest, and, and uh, when it's harvest season, and we had thousands of acres to harvest, uh, we called it busy season. And busy season, except for Sunday, my father always kept the Sunday, uh, the Sabbath day holy, and we didn't work on that day. But man, if you were able to be in the fields, it was harvest season, it was busy season, all hands on deck. And it wasn't only about getting all the combines going and the semi trucks uh, rolling and, uh, and the grain augers and other stuff that happened in the fields, the, the wagons that would carry stuff back and forth, the grain elevator where people dump stuff and then some fall tillage. There was a need for a lot of people during busy season. And busy season, um, you had your mind focused on being able to gather that crop in. So Jesus saw this in a different kind of season and day and age 2,000 years ago, and he just says, hey man, where's the workers at? All hands on deck. Do you see what's happening out there? People need hope. People need transformation. People are longing for a Messiah. I am here as the Messiah. And he says, the fields are wide unto harvest, and we need to get at it. And so when he came back and he made mention of this, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the labor is few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. He says then, this is great. I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Appreciate that. I'm going to get devoured. That may be how you feel. But be encouraged by this, even though that that may be true. Jesus knows that's true. And he's given you the power of the Holy Spirit. And he'll give you wisdom and discernment in the midst of the wolves, how to be like a lamb and to be a laborer in the harvest. 
And the interesting thing here is it says to pray earnestly for, to the Lord of the harvest. Do you ever wonder if Jesus repeats himself? If you were actually following Jesus, did he give the same sermon one place to the next place to the next place? I think that he did, at least variant parts of it. It didn't like hit repeat and do the exact same thing. But he had a strong message to get out time and time again. This idea of laborers shows up in other kinds of places. In Matthew 9.35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities, villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. So Jesus is on the pathway. He's doing His ministry. Now, a couple of things to point out here. He's not just proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's also demonstrating the power of the kingdom by healing people's disease and their afflictions. So it goes hand in hand, being able to proclaim the kingdom of God and to be able to demonstrate the kingdom of God. The message, the ministry. The message, the ministry. They go hand in hand. But the second thing I want to give notice of here is he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus has yet to find his way to the cross, to die a cruel death, to be raised on the third day, and to be ascended into the heavens. We know that now, and he did that for the provision of the forgiveness of our sins. And so when Jesus went out to proclaim in those early days, he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Well, what was he talking about? Well, I want to encourage us in this. Many times when we think of an active witness, we say, oh, well, we just need to witness about Jesus Christ is the Savior. He can forgive our sins, and if we die, we'll go to heaven. Friends, that is truncating the message. It's just cutting it off. There's so much bigger picture than just that uh, salvation come to Jesus moment. The gospel of the kingdom is God's big vision for what he did when he created the heavens and the earth. He created a beautiful garden in paradise. He placed Adam and Eve there with all the animals and the beautiful foliage and other kinds of things. He had paradise, right? And then sin came into the world. And Adam and Eve fell. And then the Israelites were chosen as an example group for God to bless so that all nations can be blessed. And then the Israelites, they struggled. They'd be up and down or they go around and around with loving God or falling away from God, falling into... To, evil idols or other kinds of sin traps. But then Jesus came and the first words Jesus spoke that are recorded in the first gospel that was ever written, which is the gospel of Mark, Jesus stands up and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, where, where? Where's the Messiah? He was claiming and began to claim that he was the Messiah, but the kingdom referred to God's rule and reign, freshly established. Things are changing. And Jesus was the pivot point of all history and the work that he did. But when he sent his disciples out, he was proclaiming the gospel to the kingdom. And I encourage us this way because the proclamation, the message part of the message in the ministry, needs to be all-encompassing about the big picture. And that's one of the things you and I can study and enfold ourselves into. What's God's big plan? What's He doing? Before time, this time, future time. And put ourselves in the bigger picture. We've talked about that some as a church and just want to encourage you that way. As He's going around, He's talking about the gospel of the kingdom. And then, notice this verse. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw the masses of people, 
he became what? Brokenhearted. His heart went out for them. I think one of the first prayers that you and I can pray to be an active witness, it's a dangerous prayer, is Lord, break my heart for people. You know, we're living in a very tense culture right now. People siding up on different sides, pitting one group of people against another group of people. It's really a sad state that we're in. And we can get caught up in that even as followers of Jesus, become anxious and, 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 and uh, indictive of people and that kind of thing. But I often think to myself, what would Jesus think if He saw what was going on in our cultures? Whether it's in our workplace, in our friendship circles, maybe even if He walked into a protest movement. What if He walked into Portland? What would He think? Would He condemn what was happening there? Well, He doesn't like evil, and that evil comes from the adversary many times if there's riots and looting, that kind of things. The cause, the cause of social justice He would aspire to, and, and He wants you know, His salvation, and He died for all people, and everybody should be treated equal kind of idea. So maybe there's mixed emotions there, but I tell you what, there would be a premonition of Jesus that had compassion, harassed and helpless, Oh, maybe you don't think people are harassed and helpless. With the adversary out there, people are harassed and helpless. They are sheep without a shepherd. I think so much of uh, the presidential election kind of things come down to people longing for a Savior. Somebody to fix things. They're sheep without a shepherd. And though we pray for uh, God to lead appropriately in the government circles that be, we never intended for government to be the ultimate picture for us to find our hope in. It's found in Jesus Christ. And Jesus knew that they were lost. They were destitute. They were broken. They weren't able to even think clearly or walk their way through an appropriate kind of discussion maybe. His heart went out to them. Lord, break my heart for people. I think it's one of the first things that you and I need to really own. Do we want our heart broken for people? Because it's a burden to care. It's a burden to care, especially when our lives are so full and burdensome in themselves. But Jesus called them out of the grandstands on the field. He empowered them with His Spirit. I want you to be my witnesses in all places. He says, look into the fields. They're white into harvest. We need more laborers. And that's where He comes right back in this same passage and He preaches it the second time in another place. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. I grew up in a church that had a lot of focus on missions. It was a Christian Missionary Alliance church, just like ours is. Missionaries would come in, and I remember as a young person, they would always bring up you know, this kind of verse and say, who will go? Who will go to the regions beyond? The people have never heard about Jesus. I'm like trying to hide back behind some pew going, oh, not me. I don't want to go somewhere where there's people that I don't know that are like different. The Lord gives you a cross-cultural calling. He will give you a heart for that. But my question is not about the mission fields. What about the missional heart that you and I need to have. And it says here to pray that the Lord would raise up laborers. We're going to do that right now, Jesus. I don't know who's watching this online or in other parts, places, but Jesus, we just simply pray that as a church, we would be a people who would champion laborers. People who would be workers 
to go to the masses or to go to the individuals that are lost. Give people compassion for those who need You, Jesus. And we pray You would raise up laborers and even in our own church, whether stateside or abroad, may there be many that You would call into the harvest. Amen. Now, being an active witness is not some grand calling like a career as we think of it. It's an everyday participation, an everyday active thing. And so Jesus gave the command to all of us to be laborers, to be witnesses. But if we go back to a verse we looked at a couple weeks ago, in John 15, 16, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. All of us are called to be laborers because all of us are called to bear fruit. And when Jesus spoke these words in John 15, He was speaking specifically to bearing fruit in more followers of Him. There's bearing fruit in a lot of different kinds of ways we can think of, but in His mind, to bear fruit. And then He made the idea that whatever you ask of the Father in My name, He may give to you. He made the idea of answer prayer contingent upon you being a good active witness. Lord, help me solve this problem I'm in, right? Well, maybe you're in that problem because you've not been obedient to one of the uncommon practices that is typical for us as believers to shy away from, especially in a politically charged cancel culture. We're like, oh, okay. I don't really want to be a witness for you. It's fine for me, my own private life, but no. Go and bear fruit. God will give you as you seek Him in His will the desires of your heart, He will give it to you. You know, one of the people that Jesus caught and took him up on this was the Apostle Paul. If you remember, Paul, his old name was Saul, and he was persecuting Christians because he was a part of the religious heat of everybody needing to fall in line with the Jewish culture and customs of the day. And that's how you got in right standing with God, was do a bunch of do's and stay away from all the don'ts. Very legalistic. He was a Pharisee. Jesus tracked down Saul on the road to Damascus where he was going to persecute more Christians. He struck him dead. No, not dead, but he felt like he was dead. He struck him blind. And Paul, was the new name Jesus gave him, became a witness. One of the places he had to become a witness was before legal authorities. When he was thrown into prison and when he was before King Agrippa, he outlines his testimony. And his testimony, his witness, included these words. He says, Jesus came to me and he said, after this striking down of blindness, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. A place among those who are sanctified, that they would enter the kingdom of God, be a part of the kingdom people, the big picture, what God was doing. But he was saying, hey, hey, Paul, here's what's going to happen, man. I'm sending you out. You need to open the eyes of the massive crowds of people and turn them from darkness because they're living in darkness. Have some empathy for them, some sympathy, and from the power of Satan to God. He knew what was going on. If you have a hard time becoming empathetic for an enemy that's around you or somebody's might have been doing you right at work or something, try to think through the eyes of Jesus. 
As Paul began to think through, when he understood, when Jesus came to him, that people are caught in darkness, their eyes are closed, the power of Satan is pressing in against them. Friends, we don't have an enemy in other people. We have one enemy, and he's Satan. And he's at work to destroy all kinds of lives, all kinds of uh, state governments, and all kinds of nations. He hates the kingdom of God. And Paul knew this. And so in his testimony to Agrippa, he gave these words. This is what's going on. All right? It's a challenge to us because this is what I want to walk us through just here real quick. What is the value of being an active witness? Why should I do this, Carrie? Why should I engage part of my life? Why should I step out of my comfort zone to witness to my friend, my neighbor, my coworker, whatever it may be? Because you get on the playing field, some things are going to change. You become, first of all, more others-focused in a me-centered culture. You become more others-focused in a me-centered culture. Secondly, you exercise spiritual growth muscles as you own your own faith. It calls you in to say, what do I really believe? And, and is it just head faith or heart faith? Thirdly, you are drawn to know truth and understand God's Word more. Man, it's going to make you crash into understanding Scripture, to understanding what's true, what's false, what's error, what's good, what's evil. Fourth, you participate with the Spirit's work and the changing of a life forever. Friends, there's no greater joy than that. You know, I had uh, a conversation with somebody in the outlot, outback lot uh, Wednesday night about a relative of theirs, a young adult who moved to Michigan. And they moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I said, oh, that's, that's cool. I never realized that some people have moved during this time of COVID. And so uh, this uh, young adult from our congregation, I've encouraged and, and tried to challenge to grow spiritually. I said, hey, if he's in Grand Rapids, have him go to this church called Kentwood Community Church. Walk up to the pastor of that church. It's a large church. Walk up to the pastor afterwards and just simply say, hey, I came from Carrie Bowman's church. And the reason is the pastor of that church, his name's Mick, and Mick came to know Jesus Christ at a youth camp that I helped lead and put on when I was in my young adult years. And we would pray for God send out laborers. We need to get more kids to student camp. And I remember God working powerfully in that young man's life as he committed his life to Christ and to the calling of vocational ministry becoming a minister in a parachurch ministry, going overseas to an unreached people group, a missionary. He came back to another church, and then he ended up starting an inner city church in Detroit, and now he's in Grand Rapids, and i just seen God's pleasure on him. And I think, wow, man, I had a little part in getting Mick to go to camp. And it was at camp that Jesus Christ transformed his life and gave him that calling. I don't know about you, but you participate with the Spirit's work in changing someone's life forever, things start to get realigned in your life real quick. A fifth one is you enjoy the pleasure of Jesus by obeying His great commission, which was to make disciples of all people groups, teaching them, baptizing. Jesus has a plan. You and I find the pleasure of being obedient to that plan. And then the sixth thing I just mentioned here for a value of being an active witness is you bring God's glory by bearing fruit as He commanded and forwarding His kingdom. So, how do I go about doing this? I got it, Carrie. We're going we're gonna to try to step out. I guess I, get a name in your head. You got a name in your head or some other friendship circles or circles maybe you need to step into. <sighs> when you suit up in the morning, you're going out. 
You're going out to be an active witness, not an ugly witness or an intrusive witness. You are just going to be used by the Holy Spirit to be able to encourage others. And maybe it begins in your own home with your own kids. And so as you step into this, what are the things you need to be doing? Well, here are the aspects of an active witness. Meeting needs, making friends, and moving people towards Jesus. Can you say that with me? Meeting needs, making friends, and moving people towards Jesus. It's just sort of three active things you can be doing as you head out into your day. Meeting needs are prayers of receptivity, acts of kindness, words of encouragement. Pray that people would be receptive. Don't go blindly into your week. Pray God used me today as your witness. There's people that you want me to encourage. Maybe there's acts of kindness that you need to step out and do. Someone this week called me and said, I want to do an act of kindness for somebody. And I, I helped them with it. And I, that's so cool. Words of encouragement. Verbal just words of affirmation. You know how people don't have a word of encouragement in their life? They've just been hounded by their boss or hounded by their teacher or something like that. You need to give words of encouragement. All this is just meeting needs of people. And that is not something that's hard to do because there are so many needs with people. Lord, open my eyes. Break my heart for people. Let me see people as you see them. Help me identify needs. The second is then making friends. Now, all of us know sort of what's needed when you make friends. When you're building friendships, it's going to require you to have quality time, shared interest, and mutual empathy. It's going to take time interacting with them. Where you, you, know, you, you step out, you, you, you go get a bite to eat in some outdoor place these days, or maybe you just uh, come alongside them and something they're participating in. You're spending time. And then you're sharing interest. Identify maybe people that have some of the same interests that you have, some people that are already in your affinity group of what's going on in your life and your circles. And then mutual empathy. If people are going through a challenge, you're going to empathize with them. Don't ever say, well, I understand where you're coming from, because maybe you don't, especially even if, even if you went through the same thing. But you're giving empathy to say, well, let me hear you more. What are your feelings? What's your heart? What's going on? Just take the opportunity to build a friendship, and sometimes that friendship has to build for a long time. In fact, I like this analogy, a suspension bridge here. Building a bridge of trust that can bear the weight of truth. When you are spending time meeting needs and making friends, you are building a bridge. And you're building a bridge of trust. Today, in our very um, non-trusting culture, you need to spend a lot of time building trust with people in order to be able to sometimes speak a word of truth. Maybe even if it's a tough love kind of word of truth, right? So you're building a bridge of trust that can bear the weight of truth. This was first spoken to me by a missionary that was overseas uh, in a place in Europe. And he said, you know, it just takes some time to just build that bridge of trust because they're not seeing a lot of fruit of people actually coming to place their faith in Jesus Christ and become a part of the kingdom of God. But they're building that bridge of trust. And sometimes from one generation to the next, you are not responsible for anyone. You're just responsible to them. And you got to decide what part are you responsible to them in meeting a need and making a friend. But you're building a bridge of trust. And then I like this that goes along with this. It's called PQT. PQT, you got that in your head? Here, I'm going to tell you what PQT is. PQT is prior question of trust. You're just going to be living with this PQT. Is what I am doing, thinking, or saying building trust or undermining trust with the other person? 
is what I'm doing, thinking, or saying, building trust or undermining trust? It's a prior question of trust that you're asking as you're interacting with people. You're meeting needs. You're making friends. You're building the trust bridge because God wants you to be a witness actively to them. Now, sometimes you don't have to build a lot of bridge. Sometimes there's an opportune moment to be able to speak more directly. But normally, this is the pattern of being an active witness. You're building trust that's going to bear the weight of truth. And as you do that over the course of time, God will open up opportunities for you to speak for Him. So aspects of being an active witness, meeting needs, making friends. Here's where we stumble, number three. Moving people toward Jesus. People can smell the aroma, hear the music all day long, all year long, all lifelong in your life, but they need to hear the words. And we need to point people towards Jesus and the hope that we have in Him. John 1.35 says this, The next day John was there as John the Baptist, again with two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus passing by early on. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. He spoke and proclaimed, look, he began to point them to move towards Jesus. I'm just, a, you know, someone that's a herald shouting in the desert, make way for the, the Lord. He says, but look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he didn't say, look, that's a great church. He didn't say, look, that's a powerful preacher. Or look, that's a lovely rocking band. He pointed them towards Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. You and I need to move people towards Jesus and to proclaim it. That's why it says in Romans 10.13 from the Apostle Paul, he knew this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God, you've been saved, I've been saved. But then he goes on and he says this, but how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? What do you see here in Paul's words? In this beautiful passage, he's saying there has to be action. The witness has to be active. Going beyond meeting needs and making friends, it has to move people towards Jesus. They have to hear, right? We want them saved. They can't be saved unless they believe, but they can't believe unless they've heard, and they can't hear unless somebody tells them. And somebody's not going to tell them unless somebody is sent. One, to the next, to the next, to the next. It's logic, right? So we as active witnesses, putting it in our practices for the week. God, use me. I'm heading out today. Meeting needs, making friends, maybe being able to move somebody towards Jesus. And then it says this to close that section out. That is why the Scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Friends, you and I do not carry bad news. The bad news is that we're lost in our sins without Christ, but we have good news. And that good news is that we can introduce people to a personal life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what I want you to think of when it comes to those words. When you've had the opportunity to speak, to tell them, it's referenced sometimes as building a three-story three building. Your story, my story, his story. Ground level is your story. 
a simple question to somebody that you become friends with, or maybe you're interacting with, even cold turkey. So, tell me your life story today. Tell me your story. What's going on? Well, everybody sort of likes to tell their story. Sometimes they're embarrassed about their story. Sometimes it's going well. Sometimes not so well. But be interested in other people. And just start right there on ground level. Tell me your story. After they tell you their story, then a a good transition is to uh, then go to your story. Say, well, this this has been my journey in life. You're going to tell them your story. Now, from floor one to floor two, it may take a long time. You ever been around someone who never asked you about your life, but they're always talking about their life? Well, that might point to some needs. But listen to their story. Build that friendship. Meet the needs. There's going to come when you can start to share your story. This has been my journey in life. That's why it's very important when we go through our rooted discipleship um, you know, journey of 10 weeks. One of the key things that's done at the latter part of that journey is for you to put together your story. All right? But then you're going to transition from talking about my story to his story. Whose story? God's story. The story of Jesus Christ. God's big story changed my story. You see that transition? So you're looking at building the friendship, finding out about their story. Then you're looking at articulating some of your journey. You know, it doesn't have to be big, you know, flashy or whatever. It's just part of your journey. Empathize with them in some places. But then you're going to transition it if you're a believer in Christ to say, this is how God's big story changed my story. And that's where the gospel comes into play and where we need to articulate it. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. I'm there, I'm there, I've got that. But always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you. Being able to hear their story, be able to share your story, then you get a chance to share the hope. Talking about God's story intersecting and changing your story. So, how? How has His story changed my story? Think about it. Where would you be today if you hadn't come to follow Christ? What road would you be on? There's three areas to look at with this changing your story. Before Jesus, was there brokenness, needing hope, desiring freedom from some maybe addictive behavior, unforgiven sin you couldn't get over? Maybe you were very successful. You climbed the career ladder and realized it was leaning against the wrong building when you got to the top. What's your story? Describe before Jesus. Then talk about coming to Jesus. How you came to know the good news. The repenting, the believing, the following Christ. What was that decisive moment? Or maybe it was a season of time. You know, it was in the spring of 2019 when God really began to convict me about my sin and I chose to yield my life to Him and began following Him. Maybe you have an exact time when you prayed with someone to receive Christ in the darkness of your own room when you're under despair. Or maybe it was a longest season of a couple, three weeks where all you know is that you stepped across the line of faith and you chose to become a follower of Christ. So the before Jesus part of your story... Be clear about the coming to Jesus. And that's where the whole big story, we can't park there long, but the big kingdom story, God's big picture, it's important to explain it all. There's a reason why we're seeing happening what's happening in our culture today. And maybe that's a bridge, but Jesus came to do something about divisiveness and disunity and injustice. 
and then share briefly about after Jesus. The Spirit's indwelling. Christ came to dwell within me. I invited Him to live in my life. It's been an ongoing journey. Yeah, there's some ups and downs. I'm learning. I'm like a little kid learning how to walk. But there's been personal changes of strength and value in my life. Talk about the joy, the peace, even in the midst of trials and the hope that you have for eternity. When it comes to sharing how His story changed my story, include these three parts. Before Jesus, coming to Jesus, and after Jesus. You ready to be an active witness? I trust so. I want to send you out with encouragement. But before I send you out with encouragement and a prayer, I want to ask you one more question. And it's this question. I would be amiss if I didn't ask it before we ended. How his story changed my story? Maybe that's not a statement. Maybe it is a question. Has his story changed my story? Maybe you're in a place of brokenness, needing freedom, hope, longing for something more important and valuable than maybe the career uh, trajectory you've been on. Jesus wants to change your life today. And so maybe you've listened all the way through this uh, time of sharing today and the exhortation on this uncommon practice of active witness. But you don't know for sure that you're a believer in Christ. You don't know for sure if you were to pass away and transition to the afterlife, if you would be in the presence of God or in the presence of outer darkness, as Scripture teaches. Jesus wants you to know. The Apostle John said at the end of his great gospel, which is where I'd encourage you to read. Just begin reading through the Gospel of John. There's letters to John for second and third at the end of the Bible, but the Gospel of John, he gets the latter part of that, and he says, these things I've written that you may know that you may have eternal life and that you have life in His name. Has His story changed my story? Ask yourself that question. Right after those words of how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news are actually right before... It says this in Romans 10, 9 and 11. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, forgiven of your sins. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you're saved, brought from the old life into a new life. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. Is that your desire this morning? To have His story change your story? Pray with me. Lord, in these closing moments, we just pray for those who are listening to this Word that You would come to them and show them Your love and Your compassion to them as surely, Jesus, as You did to the crowds when You walked on this earth. And Lord, may You reveal afresh and anew to them that Your love was demonstrated by what You did on the cross Greater love has no man than this, you said, Jesus, than one laid down his life for his friends. Jesus, you laid your debt life down for us. And so, Jesus, if there is a person that is uncertain of their salvation here this morning, I pray that they too would take in a moment to bow their heads and repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for all that you've done. I, Lord Jesus, confess you as my Lord 
And I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And I now place my belief in you to be a follower of you from this day forward. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. May your spirit dwell in me as I move forward from this day. Amen. Well, thank you for sharing today. If you prayed that prayer, just simply email pray at theawakening.church. I'd love to interact with you. Pray at theawakening.church and point you in a direction you can go as a new believer in Christ. And for the rest of us, hey, let's get out of the grandstand. Let's get down on the field. It's your week to be an active witness. God bless. We'll see you next Sunday.